0: Hello, and welcome to the writers and illustrators of The Future Podcast. This is John Goodwin, your host. This podcast is dedicated to the aspiring writer and artist and will provide inspiration and tips from top professionals in the field. If you've been listening to this podcast or are new to it, I thank you very much. I would also appreciate if you took a moment to follow it on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. I would also like to mention that our next Elrond Hubbard Presents Writers of the Future volume is now available. This volume contains 12 incredibly talented authors and 12 brilliant illustrators selected by some of your favorite names in science fiction and fantasy. Books are available in the US, Canada, UK, Australia, and South Africa. And it's also available online everywhere else. Today, I'm interviewing Brian Lee Durfee. We're at the Rise to Future workshop week for volume 39. So we're in 2023. Brian, I originally met uh, seems like a long time ago, but we've seen each other so many times over the years. But he was an illustrator as a feature winner in volume nine. He's now transitioned. And he's an award-winning author after being an award-winning artist. And we're going to talk about his story and how that came to be. And um, he's got a series I know, five novels in that? Three novels in the trilogy, the, it's you're the, you're it's, one of the few people yes. that have a three novel trilogy. I must admit. So the the the,
1: the confusion is my trilogy is called the Five Warrior Angels, okay. but it is a trilogy.
0: Okay, good. All right. Anyway, welcome, Brian.
1: Yes, of course. Thank you for having me. <laughs>
0: yes. So, um, yeah. So often people do their trilogies, and it just goes on and on and on. And um, but yours is it's the title, not not the actual number of volumes. All right, so we originally made an acquaintance many years ago when you came out to, was it in Los Angeles then, or where was it in Volume 9? Volume 9 was
1: here in Hollywood, uh, the celebration uh, for the, you know, the big banquet and gala that you throw was here in Hollywood. It was uh, over in your author services building, I believe, Um, and the... um, the awards ceremony was held in a parking garage. Um, yep. I n- converted. Now it was converted, a converted, very, converted parking garage. This, yeah. But a it, lot it, of was work went into that. It was very nice. It was very nice. I did not know it was in a parking garage until somebody told me. Yeah. Or a converted parking garage. Exactly. It was, but now you hold it in one of the fanciest places in Hollywood. Yeah.
0: The tagline. So. yes. All right. So when you won, when you came out and published in Volume 9, you won the Illustrators of the Future Contest. And obviously that and your art's been featured in Spectrum, Best in Contemporary Fantasy Art Number 3. And um, you won the Arts for the Park Grand Canyon uh, Award. And you've been uh, painting in the permanent collection of the Grand Canyon Visitor Center, the Kolb Gallery. So obviously you've got your chops are like very much... Well, we're well worn and seasoned in the area of of art, but now you transitioned over to, or maybe you still did that, but you trans- transitioned over to writing. So, tell me about this story of how that. Okay, how you started first of all as an as an artist, because we're gonna, I think it's important. People need to have this understand like what you've done and your desire to create what you've created. So, first of all, how you, as an artist, familiarized got familiar with the Illustrated the feature contest and came to be the artist that you. Won the contest with Okay, sure So I think the
1: easiest way To start this off Is from the beginning When I was about 12 years old And I read The uh, Sword of Shannara By Terry Brooks And I was first drawn To The Sword of Shannara By the cover art The Brothers Hildebrandt Did the cover for that And so I was Drawn to the book through the art, and then I started reading the book. And about a hundred pages into that book, I I knew that I wanted to either be a fantasy writer or a fantasy artist. At twelve. At twelve. Yeah. Okay, good. Okay, so um, I didn't know how to write, but you know I knew how to draw. So uh, that you know kicked off early success because I would draw things in my parents and. Uh, Art teachers would say it's good, and and which just encouraged me to do more and more and more. And I just sort of forgot about the writing part. I didn't necessarily forget about it. I, I just sort of held it off as kind of a dream that I might do someday. But I'm going to pursue art because I'm talented at it, and it makes people happy when I do it. And mm-hmm. they praise me. Right. As a young kid, that meant a lot. so And so, sure. and so as I... As a person, it
0: means a lot, too.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so throughout high school, I excelled at art in my small southern Utah South Sevier High School um Sevier County if you've ever been in Southern Utah Sevier County uh, looks about the way it sounds it's in the middle of the desert in the middle of nowhere and the small the school is small and you know uh but I was known as the kid that did art in the school and that's kind of like the persona I took and I ended up getting a scholarship to uh BYU uh in art and I went there but to back up to, again, to when I was a kid, the, the same rack that I bought that, uh, the, the same, well, there was, a, there was a grocery store in Sevier County, a uh, Safeways, and they had a paperback rack, the, they, the rack of paperbacks. And, and that's where I first saw the writers of the future as a kid, just probably, when was that, 85 or something? So I was just pretty young. Yeah. And I bought that. I thought that was cool. I bought a copy. I think it might have been volume one. And uh, I just thought that was cool. And so I was pretty aware of the competition, even at a young age. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it was until volume two, three, or four, or five, where you added the illustrator competition to it. Yeah, five. Um, but by the time I got to college, I always had kind of known about the writers of the future and the illustrators of the future competition. And w- whilst I was in college, I got to the point with my art that I felt confident enough and good enough that I should enter. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I entered the competition in '93. First time I entered, and I made it into the finalists. And you all invited me to Hollywood to the big celebration, and my illustrations were put in the book. And uh it was just cool. It was like another confidence boost, right? Mm-hmm. And so after that, I started selling. I used the fact that I was an illustrators of the future, I started while in college, started submitting portfolios of my artwork to big publishers like Dungeons and & Dragons and Magic the Gathering. And and I started getting professional work right when I was in college. And so it seemed like my illustration career was going pretty well, which it was. I was doing illustrations. And I slowly, as I graduated college and it got uh, into... Um, you know, I got into the late 90s and stuff, I started to do less and less illustration and more and more gallery work. Like I, yeah. I, would, I started to do a lot of landscape paintings and wildlife paintings and and I would take them to the galleries around, you know, Park City, Utah and Jackson, Wyoming and Santa Fe, New Mexico. And, and it just seemed like no matter what gallery I went into and presented my paintings, they were like, oh yeah, we'll sell those and we'll hang them. And so I had a lot of success doing that. And so, it seemed like my career was going quite well. And, uh, you know, I just, over time, though, I noticed that I was having trouble seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, I was having experiencing pain in my eyes, and uh, it was taking me a lot longer to uh, do paintings, and I was making less money. I took a job kind of to because I was going to end up being a starving artist, and so I took a job as a carpet cleaner, and so I was cleaning carpets three days a week and painting three days a week, and things were getting a little tougher and tougher, and it took me a while to actually finally go in and get my eyes checked, and it, I ended up being diagnosed with a disease in, in my left eye called uh, um, retinal vein occlusion, which had actually made my left eye pretty much legally blind. Right. And retinal vein occlusion is basically you get strokes in your eyeballs. I mean, you can get strokes anywhere in your body. You know, your liver, your kidneys, your of course your heart and your brain are the serious ones that everybody knows about. But you can get them in your eyes too. Hmm. And so that's what happened. Is it, it? I couldn't focus. I couldn't see the paintings I was doing, and um, because my eye was. I couldn't see out of one of the eyes and the disease eventually spread to the other eye too, which they say only 16% of the people that get the disease in one eye, get it in both eyes. Well, I was part of that 16%. So, um, I was probably around 30 years old at the time. And, uh, and I, uh, decided that, you know, I just, I, I was getting discouraged with painting started to slow down with it i just wasn't doing it that much anymore and uh i was doing the carpet cleaning job and um i was one of our regular carpet cleaning clients was uh john stockton the i don't know if you remember the uh, all-star point guard for the utah jazz you know john stockton carl malone all those guys he was one of our regular clients, and I cleaned it, was cleaning his carpets about every six months. And he usually was not at home. It was usually his wife and kids at home. But one of the days that I went and cleaned, he was there, and he was in his den. And he pulled me aside, and he said, hey, I've got this rug in my den. Will you go ahead and clean it too? And so I was cleaning the rug in his den, and he was sitting at the desk. And there was a, uh, he had a big bookshelf in the den, just full of books, all authors that I love, um, you know, Tom Clancy, Dan Brown, Larry McMurtry, Lonesome Dove, just full of books that I loved. And I started a conversation with him about the books. I'm like, hey, you read these? He's like, yeah, when we go on road trips with the basketball team, I always take a book or two with me. And so we got into a, a lengthy conversation about books. And as we were talking about books, um, I made the offhand comment that, You know, when I was a kid, I I, I wanted to be an author, and I've kind of always had the dream in the back of my head that I should be an author. And he said, well, why aren't you? And I don't know why, it was something about the way he said that to me, that I was just kind of like, I think I mumbled something at the moment, I mumbled something stupid like, I don't know. And just, you know, <laughs> carried on cleaning his carpets. But later that day, I, I, I went to, you know, I finished cleaning his house and I had a couple more jobs to do that day. And I just couldn't stop thinking about what he'd said. Like, why aren't you? You know, I mean, he, he's a, I mean, John Stockton is a six foot two small point guard playing in the NBA amongst giants. And he's an all-star. Right. And he, in his mind, he's probably thinking, Well, if if you have a dream, why aren't you doing it, right? Yeah. I I, I had a dream. I fulfilled the dream of being an artist, and I kind of let life and medical issues kind of kick me in the ass and discourage me. And I'm like, I couldn't stop thinking about what he said. Like, why aren't you doing it? Mm -hmm. And so that night, after I was done cleaning carpets, I decided I was going to start writing. And I wrote my first word. And I've been writing ever since. And it just, it it was a a lesson in a couple things. It was a lesson in not giving up, but it was also a lesson in, I don't think John Stockton, the NBA all-star, would ever remember this conversation. Right. You know what I mean? But it just goes to show that no matter where you are in life or what you're doing, something you say might change someone's life, might re-energize them, Mm -hmm. you know, might get them back on track might get them following their dreams again. And, you know, just be that type of a person everywhere right. you go, you know. Be, be the type of person that's positive and not negative. Be the type of person that when you walk into a room, people are like, hey, he's here, great. Not the type of person like, oh, that jerk showed up, oh, my gosh, and people are rolling their eyes. It taught me a lot. That Just him saying that one phrase to me taught me so much about who I am today. The thing is, is he probably doesn't even remember saying it. Right. So what happened was I started writing. And I started writing every day. And I got obsessed with it. I got more obsessed with the writing than I ever had been with the artwork. Right. And I wrote this big, epic horror novel. I wanted to be Stephen King. And I wrote this big, epic horror novel. And I spent three years on it. I thought it was brilliant. I found a, addresses And contact information for 100 agents in New York, because I researched, you got to get the literary agent, you know, and then he gets you the deal with the book publisher. And so I submitted that horror novel, I submitted a query letter and three sample chapters of that horror novel to 100 agents in New York. And slowly over time, I got 100 rejection letters, (laughs) 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 you know, and so I'm like, well, that was the best I can do. And they didn't want it. But I wasn't discouraged because I knew I had this other idea for a big epic fantasy novel. And I was like, well, I can shelve that. That was a good practice. I can take whatever mistakes I made with that horror novel. I can take and learn, and I'm going to just do this epic fantasy novel, and I am going to make sure it is perfect. Right. You know what I mean, and so and I spent so I spent about three or four years on that horror novel and then i all and then I spent another probably five or six years writing this three hundred thousand word epic fantasy novel and just so peop your listeners know that's about a thousand page book that's the size of Game of Thrones or Wheel of time Earth. you know or Battlefield Earth yeah. you know. It's big, and so I've all, I already kind of put myself in a position where you've never been a published writer. They tell every n- amateur wannabe writer, don't write a huge epic novel for your first thing. Start with short stories, like Writers of the Future, yeah. or, <laughs> yeah. or uh, you know, small magazines like Asimov. You know, work your way up from short stories to smaller novels, and then maybe one day. You'll get to write your big novel. But for some reason, I ignored all that advice and um, wrote this big, huge, epic fantasy novel. Right. So I knew that I was already kind of dug myself in a hole that I probably couldn't crawl out of. But I still wasn't discouraged. And so rather than submit that novel to 100 agents, I narrowed it down to six agents. All of which had authors in their clientele that had written big, huge epic fantasy. Right. So I focused on like George R. R. Martin's agent, Robert Jordan's agent, Brandon Sanderson's agent, Patrick Rothfuss's agent, because those guys had written big books. Yep. And I knew if I submitted to those six guys that they probably wouldn't be afraid of it. And I actually put that in my query letter. I said... I am specifically writing to you because you represent Tad Williams or Patrick Rothfuss, who write huge epic fantasies, and I am sending you an epic fantasy. I know you're not going to be as scared of this. Yeah. And every single one of them read my query and my sample chapters and called me and said, I want to read the entire book. This is great. Wow. All six of them.
0: So I was like, okay.
1: That was encouraging, right? Yeah. And so... They all read the book, and then I kind of had my choice of which agent. So I just kind of, with the one, I called a few on the phone and talked, and the one I felt comfortable with, I signed with. And within just a, you know, he, he wanted me to tweak a few things in the sure. story. Uh, he thought my, my lead character was a little weak, and I needed to punch his personality up a little bit. But that's really all the rewrites I did. And as soon as I handed in the rewrites, he submitted it to all the editors, and we had several book publishers interested and we signed a book deal eventually with Simon and Schuster Saga Press, and my big, huge, epic fantasy novel that I would suggest you don't—I I would suggest to new writers—don't do what I did, but it somehow worked out for me. Yeah. And so it got published, and and uh, it's been doing well. In in July of 2019, book one in my trilogy. Was the number two biggest selling audible book in the world for the month wow. of July of 2019.
0: That's and a good so, stat.
1: Yeah, so it is. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I want. I. I mean, number three was Michelle Obama. Number two was me, and number one was the Crawdads Sing book, the Reese Witherspoon. Uh, uh, book club book and I could not dislodge I was watching for weeks just let me dislodge it just let me dislodge it so I can say I'm number one but I stayed number two
0: that's okay (laughs) we try harder so that
1: is so that is basically my journey in a nutshell from illustrators of the future when I was in college well just you know yeah from artwork to medical issues to successful writing and um, yeah, if, if one dream dies, that doesn't mean you can't step into your next dream Yeah, and have it be a success. And I'll tell you right now, I feel more, I feel prouder of myself for not only that, but I get more satisfaction out of writing. Not to say that I didn't out of art, but for some reason, I feel like I can say more about the world through my words than I could through my pictures. Um, And that's not to denigrate art over writing. I love both, and I'm a fan of both. It's just me personally, I feel like writing was actually my calling from the start. It just
0: took me a long time to get there. But you definitely have, I think one thing that, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but it seems that your ability to conceive an image mentally and put it on, you know, to canvas. Mm -hmm. Um, it would seem that that would help you also in how to, you know, write that down. That visualization and makes yeah. it easier for others to visualize. Well, it's interesting that you would
1: actually comment about that because that was another few sentences I put in my original query letter. Is I've have a success. I've had a successful career as an artist. This is my website. You can look at my artwork. You'll see that it's very detailed and very vivid. Well, I write with very detailed and vivid imagery. And I put that in my query letter. And one of the the, the agent that I actually eventually signed up with, he, he's an artist himself. And he's like he's like, that was the most important part of your query. Because I went right to your website and I was amazed by your artwork. And I was like, if this guy can write, he's like, this guy's serious. If he can do paintings like this, and um if his writing is anything close to it. It's got to be dynamite. He's like, that was the most important part of your query.
0: Yeah, yeah. Good. Play to your strengths. Yeah. So now on, so your three books in, you've done the, you completed the trilogy. Yes, the trilogy's done, yeah. And now you're, what's your next project? What's, what's happening Well,
1: next? for your listeners, the, the trilogy is called The Five Warrior Angels. Book one is Forgetting Moon. Book two is Blackest Heart. And book three is Lonesome Crown. I've started dabbling in several other books, um, some mystery novels. Uh, I'm a huge fan of, like, the Longmire mystery series or CJ Box's Joe Pickett series. Uh, I kind of love those old Western sort of cowboy private investigator cops, Mm. you know, like those that I just mentioned. And I've started writing some books set in a, view, a universe like that. It's just straight mystery novels set in uh, the old, in the West. Um, I've got uh, that old horror novel that I originally wrote yeah. that I'm thinking of maybe rewriting it and fixing it up and making it worth something. I've also got ideas for a prequel trilogy to the five warrior angels and a sequel trilogy to the five warrior angels and, at the moment, I'm kind of working on all of them, and it's one of those things with which one is going to win the race. Yeah. I guess that's the best way to
0: explain it. Yeah, just have you read any of, of Hubbard's Westerns? I have not. He wrote I, like 32 different Westerns that were that were at least published, and he's got one that um, could have easily been the basis of McLeod. Okay. The TV series uh-huh. McLeod. I remember that from and, when I was young. yeah. And um, where it's a cowboy sheriff from Arizona goes to New York. He's got a friend there, and he's so he's a cowboy. You yeah. know, he's there in New York, and so it's a whole different scene there. But he uses his cowboy savvy to to solve yeah. crime there, which is which is really good. Have you read any of Hubbard's? Oh yeah, I read uh, I read uh, Battlefield Earth when I was a kid. So. You
1: know, I, I told you about the supermarket in Sevier County that had the little uh, paperback sure. spinny rack thing yeah. on it, um, where I got the Writers of the Future. I, a few years later, Battlefield Earth showed up on that rack, and I bought it. The uh, I was reading that book, and I I went to church, um, you know, and uh, I was bored with church. And church in southern Utah, and the Mormon church, th- back then it was like three hours long, you know, and for a teenager that's undoable so i had snuck out into my parents car with the battlefield earth book and i was reading it in the back seat and the bishop came out and he he you know he knocked on the window and i opened the door and he's like is this really where you think you should be out here reading books rather than in church. He was kind of giving me like a, a lecture, you know, yeah. why are you out here? You know, your parents are very disappointed in you, kind of a thing. And so am I as your bishop. You need to go back into church and and, and behave yourself. And I was like, nah, I'm just gonna sit out here and read. And uh, but I remember specifically that it was that Battlefield Earth book that I was reading. Um, I have also I read that. So I read that when I was a kid. I reread it again when I was probably in my late twenties. Um but I also read all 10 Mission Earth books, mm-hmm. which uh, I thought were fun. And I thought kind of showed L. Ron Hubbard's sort of cynical, sarcastic side and sort of how he viewed politics in the world in general. And But uh, wrapped all of his kind of opinions into a uh, really cool, action-packed space adventure,
0: you know. So you got to admire him for that, you know. Yeah, yeah, it was... I've had a lot of other authors comment on having read Battlefield Earth, what it did for them on on as an author. You know, I've had Kevin talk about Kevin Anderson mm-hmm. and Brandon Sanderson talk about it and um just how the action and you yeah. know, learning how to write action, the, the short sentences make for very fast action and longer sentences slows it down and the various styles and techniques they learn from that. Have you from anything that, that you've Again, well, I've, an author. I've read f- 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 thousands
1: and thousands of books of, across all genres, mm-hmm. and I think I've probably gleaned some sort of positive writing. Knowledge from all of them. Yeah. Uh, Thinking back specifically on Battlefield Earth, I think that the interplay towards the beginning of the book between the two main characters, the protagonist and the antagonist, and just how they sort of played off each other and the drama that was between them. I think, you know, anybody could read those scenes if they want to be a writer and learn how to keep drama going in a scene just between how the characters are bouncing yeah. back and forth off each other just with their dialogue.
0: Yeah, and I mean, that's 425,000 words, so that's that's your length of book there. He wrote that in eight months, mm-hmm. and um, obviously did really well in, on bestseller lists and, and, oh, yeah. and translated and stuff. Yeah, he was, he was very, very prolific in the yeah. Mission Earth, 1.2 million words. He also wrote that okay. in eight months.
1: Yeah, well, it's... Uh, those are the... So there was 10 in the Mission Earth, and then yeah. I've read 11... Elton yeah, Homer so books. I've read a lot of Earth and Mission yeah. Earth. Yeah.
0: Now the thing about Mission Earth is he intentionally switched it up because the narrator is one of the bad guys, you know, Sultan Griss. And then the good guy almost acts as a foil against yeah. him, you know. And but it's interesting when I've surveyed a lot of the people over the years since it came out, more people relate with Sultan Griss. Than he do anybody else, you know. I mean, he's he's just bad person. Well, just hearing like the victim of his own, (laughs) yeah.
1: Just hearing you talk about it makes me think I should reread the series. I've only read each book once, and and as it was as they were being published, yeah. So my my uh, memory on details and specifics is is pretty vague. Sure. But I need, yeah, I do need to, it is a series I need to reread.
0: Yeah, it. we're going to be coming out with it again, uh, hopefully later on this year. And it's... New versions, new co- cover art, same cover art? cover art. art. Okay. We got
1: Rob Pryor. His, All right, I'm going to have to yeah, get art. that. Because yeah. I've, got, I've got the whole series with the old, I gotta, I'm going to have to get the new one too. Yeah.
0: Make sure you let me know and I'll I'll sell it to you. I'm the publisher. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, in terms of, of writing then, So you said you've read thousands of books. So what are, from your perspective, some of the key ingredients for an author to to make it like there's people go, okay, they went to school to learn how to write creative writing classes. They've read a lot. They've taken online courses. They've talked to friends. They've had other wannabes tell them. It's like there's all types of bad ways to do it. but. What are some things that's been for you that's helped you? Oh, yeah, sure. Um,
1: Yeah, everybody's journey to getting published, whether they get published through a traditional publisher or just even self-published, everybody's journey is different. Right. There's no person that's done it the same as the next guy or the next girl. Everybody has a different story. And every story has kind of got an odd twist to it or they did something that they shouldn't have and it worked out. You know, For instance, I wrote a... 300,000 word first novel and you're just not supposed to do that. So right. So my story isn't like everybody else's. However, I would say be persistent if you're a young writer, be persistent, write a lot. And if you're serious about it and really want to make money at it and and be uh, someone that is, you know, sitting on the bookshelf with Stephen King and and George R R Martin, you you really need to um Spend time doing the writing, which means a lot of times you're going to have to choose between partying with your friends over the weekend or maybe maybe this is the weekend I stay home and write. I mean, it's not like you have to give up your entire social life, but I mean, you, you will have to sacrifice some things. And a lot of times that right there just eliminates 95% of the people from trying. Right. Um, but for the 5% that do try and keep doing it, um, I think... For me, I'd never took a creative writing course in my life. Everything I know about writing, I learned from reading four to five to six books a week ever since I was 12 years old. And I think that's the best education you can get, is just read a lot. Read. If you want to write epic fantasy, do what I did. I read epic fantasy. I read science fiction. I read mysteries. I read Westerns. I read biographies. I read everything. Um so just read a lot. You will learn so much about writing and the craft of writing and how to tell a story by studying the writers that you like and maybe even kind of studying some of the books you don't like um figuring out why you didn't like it and how can I avoid doing that because I don't like I don't like seeing that kind of thing in a story or I don't like the way that I don't like that style of writing, you know. Right. And, uh and study it. I I when I was doing my epic fantasy, well when I was doing my horror novel, I was obsessed with Stephen King and I I seriously was trying to emulate everything he did. You know, when um when a rock band uh first starts out, they play covers of sure. all the people they love. Yeah. You know what I mean? They yeah. emulate sure. and then they start to Formulate their own music and write their own lyrics and come up with their own tunes. But to start with, they're playing, you know, the Rolling Stones and, you know, Bon Jovi and Journey and Queen. And I mean, that's what they're playing. But they learn so much from doing it. They learn how to construct a great song by playing great songs. You can learn how to write novels by reading great novels and Sometimes emulating the style of writing of that author. And I when that horror novel I wrote. I just I was studying Stephen King daily, just trying to figure out everything he was doing, and um, I did that with my artwork too. Like when I was a kid, I was obsessed with Larry Elmore. <laughs> I mean, he was I to to him, he was the biggest celebrity in the world at the time. Yeah, uh, to me. Yeah. Sevier County, Utah, those little Dungeons and Dragons and Dragonlance books with the Larry Elmore covers, those that was what I aspired to be. And I would literally look at those covers, and I would slavishly copy it. But it taught me how to draw. Right. Just like playing a um, Fleetwood Mac song in a bar somewhere taught some person that's really famous right now how to be a good singer. It's the same thing. It's the same concept. You can use it with Damn. art, writing, music, acting, just emulate and study the people that you admire. And that would be the best training I could think of. And if you do happen to take a creative writing course, cool. But I don't think it's necessary. Right. And most, actually most of the writers that I've come across over the years Did not have a degree in writing. I mean, I know people that came from... They were accountants, police officers, farmers, fish and game wardens, you know, plumbers. Mm -hmm. They just had a dream and they loved books. And So I I, I don't know if an education is really going to get you a leg up on just reading a lot. It might
0: for some people. Like I said... Every journey is different. Right. Yeah, if you read a lot, then you know the various tropes. You can know the various, how you create suspense, how you make somebody want to turn the page, what makes you, your heart go up, what yeah. makes you like, okay, good, you're relaxed. Yeah. What, makes you, what makes you want to like stop reading? Yeah. Like you said, dissect that to find out okay, what happened there. I, I, I stopped reading that book. Well, yeah, one of the,
1: One of the books that people kind of roll their eyes at is The Da Vinci Code, but I'm telling you, I think I learned more about writing from reading The Da Vinci Code over and over than any other book. Just by the way, Dan Brown started his chapters and ended his chapters. I mean, that book sold billions of copies. I don't know. It just seems like it. But it was a huge phenomenon, and there was a reason, and it's because people couldn't stop reading it. Right, and I tried to learn story structure through that book, and I think it helped. You know,
0: me. And anyway. J.K. Rowling got so much grief that she can't write. She opened this the concept of reading to yeah. billions of kids that would not otherwise be oh. reading. And there was never, when I was growing up, you'd go into the
1: bookstore and there was no young adult section. Right now, half the bookstore is young
0: adult because and of J.K. Rowling. Because of J.K. Rowling. Yeah. You know, and just say so I was talking with uh, Orson Scott Card. He talked about, you know, more power to her. You know, I've got now that many more people reading my books because of what she's done oh, for to, sure. to introduce him to the world of reading. Yeah. Well, so, then
1: Orson Scott Card himself is a masterful storyteller, too. Indeed I mean, he is. You can't put down Ender, Ender's Game. You
0: start reading that, and you're not stopping until yeah. no, the last page. Yeah, exactly. So now, so you write. Yeah, epic fantasy. Is that the genre? Like, that that's your go-to genre, or or and building around fantasy, or do you ever look at wanting to do um, hard sci-fi, for example? Oh
1: yeah, I mean, I wouldn't mind doing like a space opera, kind of a Star Warsy type of uh, thing. I I don't know. I mean, I look at some of the things like Dune or stuff Larry Niven's written, which is just really high concept science fiction that just blows your mind when you're reading it. I mean, Arthur C. Clarke's rendezvous with Rama. I remember the first time I read that I was just riveted, not with the story or the characters, but just the idea. And I don't know if I've got an idea like that yet. You know what I mean? (laughs) I'm like, I don't know if I've got something in me that would just wow people. It seems like, I mean, because, uh, You know, Ringworld by Larry Niven, that was like one of those wow novels. Can you imagine something like that? Rendezvous with Rama, even Dune Universe, the world building. I guess if I was to do something science fiction, it would lean more towards the Dune, just because it was kind of space opera-like, you know. It Mm -hmm. had, you know, the laser swords and the (laughs) the things like that. Um, I've thought about it. I just... I don't have a story in mind that
0: I would tell at the moment. Yeah. But yeah, I remember when I, the thing that first got me hooked on science fiction was E.E. E. Doc Smith's The Lensman series. I just like – I read that two, three times. I just – I loved it. Yeah. It was just – to me, I was just like <sighs> – Yeah. Totally fascinated, totally transforming. Skylark series was, was really good too, but I preferred The Lensman yeah. series. And then as, as I was reading more – more authors and getting more open to it, then I started entering the world of fantasy, and um, it's just—it's fun. I enjoy just being transported to other other worlds. I've never had that bug to want to write a book, write a novel, you yeah. know. But it's—I absolutely enjoy it. I—I've got my my outlet right now for our creativity is, is doing these podcasts, which have been oh, good of now, course, like yeah. 220, 230 episodes so far. And I've got, I've almost got three awards. There are three finalists. Oh, yeah. Um, three finalists in the um, podcast awards, People's Choice. Oh, well, so congratulations. That's, been, yeah. that's, that's awesome. Because there's five million people that vote for that. So to make it a finalist yeah, is, you know, that's cool. But now I've got three. I want to, I'm with the win, you know. <laughs> So I'm working on that. But on, um, you've got, you know, we talked about you have to read, read, read. But I want to go a little more because you kind of glossed over a little bit. Just it had to be really traumatic to have lost the ability to paint. You know, that was your uh, – I would think so. Yes okay, and was, no. Yes and no. Um,
1: I mean, I didn't really lose the ability to paint. The ability to paint was, just became more difficult. Okay. Um, I could, I could still probably, well, I take that back. I probably couldn't, <laughs> I was going to say, I could still probably knock out a painting, but it'd probably take me a year. Um, uh, and it might not be as good as my old ones because I've, I'm so out of practice. I retired the paintbrushes, you know, I mean, I was, it was a couple things. I, I wasn't really that devastated over it. Okay, I mean, I, I well, just kind good. of, I just kind of slowly kind of realized the, the, what was coming. And, uh, Sort of had made peace with it, and um, and uh, was transitioned. yeah, and was t- and transitioned. I and I guess it's uh, and I guess again, I owe I owe that basketball player a debt of gratitude for saying what he said when he said it. Yeah, because it's weird because it's it's almost like anybody else on the planet could have said those very same words to me, and I probably just would have went in one ear and out the other. But I think it was because he was a superstar and everybody knew in utah knew his name and he was on the dream team and you know i mean i don't know it meant something you know uh and then once i started uh phasing the paintings out and started getting the writing going i just i literally almost forgot that i ever was an artist Um, so it wasn't really a devastating thing i mean the more devastating part was uh, cause I knew I was legally blind in the left eye. The more devastating part was when I found out that I had the same disease in the right eye. And now I am getting medication in, in the eye and, uh, which is slowing the process. There's no guarantee that I won't go. But the devastating thing was getting that news because I was like, gosh, if I go blind, um, and it's not total blind. I mean, it's blurry it would be blind enough that i would not be able to drive a car or function or read a book ever again um so then i it was like you know start to collect all these audio books you know and then eventual day when something and even like with typing i mean i can i have to wear special glasses when i'm on the on my laptop because i can't see it mm-hmm. unless i'm wearing them and uh but if i was to if my right eye is to go as blind as my left eye, yeah, I would be uh, handicapped. I would be a handicapped person. And that's more devastating to think of than losing an art career or losing I get it. a writing career. It's just being blind. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. And the doctors offer no guarantees. I mean, and the injections that they give me in the eyeball is, and some people out there probably have gone through it to, before a needle in your eye, but it's a monthly injection of medicine and it's painful and I dread when it comes in, you know, but it's, yeah, but, but, the, but it, the medicine does
0: slow the process down. Good, good. Now, one thing, you're out here this week for a very specific reason because you're a social media influencer. Okay, yes. And... Um, Much like you are. Much like that, but I'm the interview, interviewer and you're the interviewee right now. Yeah. So um, this is where the tables are, the microphones are facing now. So I think, I mean, it's important for an artist, whether, you know, paintbrushes or, or using your Mac or whatever versus writing a story, you know, however you, however you convey the arts, there's merit to having a presence on social media, for sure. Yes, and so I want to talk about that because some people get really freaked out about it because it can get very hostile, you know. And some people, you've got to have people follow. So I mm-hmm. mean, Neil Gaiman. When I talked to him several years ago, he said that's what made him successful in the U.S. was he had a following on his Daily Journal that they'd see him as he was doing. It. When he came out with the book, then he he had his bestseller automatically. Yeah you know, um, about your perspective on social media, its value, how you deal with, with trolls and haters and that whole thing. Okay. So, um,
1: yeah, a couple of years ago, well, I've always been on Facebook and Instagram and, you know, as when you're a published author, you just get friend requests from all over the place. And so you just, you know, you get to see a lot of people, you know, that, end up on your Facebook or your Instagram or whatever. Um, But I was watching YouTube, and I was really big into YouTube. And, um, you know, a podcast, uh, uh, doing something like that didn't really interest me. Um, uh, Doing, like, a blog, like, where you would write daily on your website and have a blog, that didn't really interest me. But I started watching YouTube, and I started watching these guys and gals on YouTube just talking about books they loved and i was like i started to follow them and like like man i think i could do that so a couple of years ago i said well i'm going to i'm going to uh, just get online and i'm going to review books i love i'm going to give writing advice on uh-huh. and, and so i'm going to do my top 10 science fiction books of all time and my you know my favorite mysteries of all time and then i'll do my favorite authors and i'll i'll give writing advice i'll talk about book covers and illustrators i like and I said, but I'm going to give myself a goal. I'm going to shoot one video per day. I'm not going to spend any money on this. I'm just going to use my camera uh, that's on my phone. And I'm just going to prop my phone up on the shelf with the, you know, I'm not going to get any lights or anything. I'm just going to shoot one video per day for a year and see what happens. And so that's what I did. I would spend uh, every Friday, I would, in the morning, I would shoot seven videos, um, some book reviews, some writing advice, just whatever I felt like. Uh Ten ten minutes around. I would shoot for about ten minutes, and I posted those videos every day. And, And they're low budget. I mean, they are low budget. The lighting is awful. Sometimes my cat knocks over the set. Sometimes. But I don't edit any of that out. And I think that that was part of the charm of why I started to get a following is because I would screw things up and I would just keep going. I wouldn't do another take. Yeah. I mean, and uh it just became kind of this uh personality that I was just being myself like I am now and telling jokes and and saying funny things about books that I'd read or or kind of poking fun of myself if I didn't understand something in a book or and just sort of kind of being um myself on camera and
0: very animated, you're standing up and you're yeah. like your hands are going I like do and this, and you're pointing to where it's going to be. I'm reading <laughs> the plug in there when you do your <laughs> yeah. final. Yeah, post. and and
1: uh, the lighting is all screwy. the The focus sometimes is off. Um, sometimes I uh, will review a book and I'll I'll mix the characters' names up, and I'll I'll and uh, sometimes and I, one of my famous reviews that I really messed up was Zane Gray's book Nevada. And it was a western, and I and I sk- mixed up the relationship between all the characters. I just finished the books, I hadn't taken any notes, but I was calling the guy's girlfriend, who was his sister, was his girlfriend. So I had all the names mixed up, and I just I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm not gonna reshoot it. I'm just gonna put it up there. It's all messed up, and people called me out on it. You're talking about trolls. They're like, did you even read this book? You got all the characters wrong. And, and I'm like, I know, but you know, it is what it is. Um, but I've had fun doing it and it's grown. I didn't and after a year I had like ten thousand followers and I was just like, I, I thought I would I thought a success would be two hundred followers. Yeah. You know? And then it's just still growing and uh I'm still shooting those videos. Um still making the mistakes it's gonna be low budget i've thought well maybe i should buy all this fancy equipment like you guys have got and but i think if i started to take it that serious i might not enjoy doing it anymore right if that makes sense yeah because right now it's just fun and i don't want it to become like a job or anything like that you know uh, and i get to do what i want i get to say what i want and uh, so far people like it and we get fans but it Here's the thing is, it doesn't, you're right about the trolls. It doesn't matter what you do, um, whether I post a picture of myself in front of a castle on Facebook and Instagram, or whether I review a book on YouTube, inevitably there's going to be somebody that will find a problem with it and say something rude and ignorant. And so how do you do that? What what's your philosophy mentality of I either, how you deal with it? I either ignore it or I respond with uh, kindness, you know. You know, sorry you uh sorry you didn't like this book as much as me. Uh you know, maybe maybe uh maybe put in the comments some books that you do like, you know? Or uh I I I, I uh it, it's always like that. It's it's just I've never responded too angrily. I might have a time or two, but I try not to respond angrily. Like I said, I want to keep it positive. I want to keep
0: it positive. I don't want to be a jerk to anybody. Um, and that's what they're looking for, though, too. When they yeah. do that type of of hostile, you know, they do the jabs. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've got one clip from um, Monty Python. You know, where the the guy, he's something's wrong, and he's you know, I fart in your general direction. <laughs> yeah. You know. You know, as you know, I've got that. I haven't actually used that, but I've I've got that. But I tried to avoid that too. With Rise of the Future, I can't afford to get into anything, mm-hmm. anybody commenting yeah. on religion or on politics or any of this stuff. I just keep it straight down the middle on that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, with like with Rise of the Future, it's all about the um, the authors, the artists. Yeah. And the um, celebrating success and uh, providing inspiration and tips for the aspiring writer and aspiring artists so that they're not, you know, it's hard. It's difficult. You know, you're burying your soul. You're, you're saying, okay, here I am. And if somebody comes in, some troll comes in and goes, cover up, you know, in their yeah. vitriolic way, it it can be harsh.
1: Yeah, you just can't take it personal. And uh I would say um I would hate to say I've never kind of lashed out online because the moment I say I've been perfect online, people will dig up the times <laughs> that I did lash out and throw it in my face, and I'll be like, Yeah, I do remember that. I was kind of a jerk. Um <clears throat> yeah, I did kind of respond inappropriately to that. So I'm not gonna say it's never happened, but
0: the internet's forever yeah it's it's a new thing now and like maybe before 30 years ago before the internet you could say something and it dies with the people that that heard it yeah but now it doesn't yeah and in in hollywood it's just it's vicious how it'll be be dug up from however many years ago to crucify you
1: oh for sure that's why I, i hesitate to say i've been perfect with this but I'd say 99.9% of the time I try
0: to <laughs> either just not say anything.
1: Yeah. Or if I do respond, it's usually in, in a positive way. Like, yeah.
0: You know. Yeah. So do you ever like um, block people coming in and comment? Do you ever take people that just constantly come back and they're like? I, um,
1: I think on Facebook I've maybe blocked a couple people, but that's just because it's not. I just didn't trust them. You know what I mean? Um, uh, on YouTube, uh, I've blocked a few people, not because they were really um, saying anything about me, but they were just saying ignorant, kind of racist, uh, things like that, just in general. And I'm like, well, I don't need that kind of a comment in my comment section. Yeah. Somebody just being rude to
0: 50% of the
1: population,
0: you know. Yeah, so I mean I've what I try to do with rise of the future is if someone is being if they've got a negative comment about something, I don't have a problem with that. Yeah. You know. But if it's hateful, that's different. That's yeah. that's not saying, you know, it's when you say I think that that book really and people will say it in varying degrees of of their levels of education, so man that book really sucked or i didn't like the lead character because of yeah you know so you get varying degrees of of showing your 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 distaste for yeah. something that's that's totally fine when people come in just trying to be hateful to see if they can like stir up the the hornet's nest yeah and they're yeah for me i, I block them and yeah. keep them another because it's not just me it's not yeah rise the future isn't me it's it's yeah all the winners and people are aspiring. Yeah. I'm not interested yeah. in there getting: And yeah,
1: now that you're talking about this, I'm starting to like feel guilty now, because I'm like, I wonder how many times like because you know, if somebody says something on my page or my posts, I respond kindly or don't respond mm-hmm. at all. But now I'm trying to think back of how many times have I just been cruising around Facebook or Instagram or the YouTube and just typed in something stupid? You know what I mean? Like maybe just something just like sarcastic just to see if people will. And then I'm thinking, you know, I bet I've done that. I can't think of a specific, but I know I've done it. And I probably shouldn't have.
0: And like you said, it's probably out there. (laughs) You know what I mean? mean? You know, you've, I mean, you're, I mean, I know you and I can't imagine if, you know, something you say that's going to be snark me is like, you know, like, so mild that <laughs> yeah. when I think of oh, snark, yeah. I think of something that's just really nasty and mean. And you're, yeah. just, you're just not that kind of a guy at all. I just, I know you, and you're not that kind of a person. Yeah. Uh, I think that there's
1: been a few times, and, and, my, and my mom caught me on it once because, <laughs> because I think it was on her page. <laughs> <laughs> she was uh cuz my mom you know we go back to that story of me skipping church to read a book yeah. in the car my mom is a very deeply religious person and she will post a lot of her beliefs uh, you know church of jesus christ of latter day saints uh stuff on the internet and i think i've i think i've fired off a few rude comments about that not, not that i have anything against uh, that in particular um but i i know it'll get a rise out of my mom yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's just you know, unfortunately, you know, you got to poke sticks at your parents.
0: <laughs> Evidently, yes. So, uh, so that's not something that's been a problem for you then with on um, trolls or people or haters coming on there. Not, not particularly. Oh, that's good.
1: Um, and and I think it's because I don't engage in it really. Yeah. It could be a huge problem if you if you fuel the fire if you just keep tossing fuel on their comment because once you know once you uh, get involved in one of those online arguments. And I've learned the hard way is you're not convincing anybody of anything. and nope. And then you just, you're angry at yourself for even bothering yeah. with it. And, and and I learned the hard way, you know, like everybody else, you know, when Facebook first came out and <clears throat> the next thing you know, you're arguing politics with some high school friend you haven't seen in years. And, and you're like, well, what did we accomplish
0: there? And so I just don't do it anymore, you know. Yeah. So... That makes sense. I was just curious because I know you're very active on this. Now, conversely, what effect has it had on your career as an author? Oh, okay. Yeah, so, um, you know, as the
1: channel, as my YouTube channel has grown, um, and if anybody out there wants to subscribe, it's Brian Lee Durfee Reviews on YouTube. Um, uh, As it's grown... I've noticed a pretty decent uptick in sales of books. Not that that was my purpose at all, but my publisher noticed. Yeah. Um, So they've noticed, and uh, they are appreciative of the fact that I, in my introduction to every video that I do, I, I introduce every single video the same way. I mention my name, my three books,
0: and my publisher and it's almost yeah. it's great how you do that i mean I, I think that's people should actually check take a look yeah. at that because that's for me is a very successful thing because my attention doesn't go on to you oh he's just he's just hawking his books yeah you're saying okay this is who i am these are my yeah. books now today we're going to talk about it, and you pull up the book and yeah. um, sometimes you'll say and don't forget i got this book that just came out or this thing here you know where I'm in this one here, when you talk about writers, the future is a new book. But then yeah. you pull up the book you're publishing, volume nine, I think it was. Yeah, it? and I'm writing it here too. Yeah, so you do that. But you're you're so in communication, yeah. and it's not. Yeah. I at no moment do I feel like you're just like trying to hawk your own stuff. Yeah, and 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 to be honest,
1: I don't think I've ever had a comment on any of the videos where someone said that I was. Oh, you're just doing this to. Sell your books. I mean, your, your, your uh, introduction is obnoxious. Nobody's ever said no, that about No, because it, it isn't. Um, but if, I'm aware of you as an author and your yeah, books. Yeah. And the thing is, is it's almost, my introduction has almost become a meme unto its own. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> because people will come up to me at Comic Cons that have never met me, but have watched my videos, and they'll like, are you Brian Lee Durfee, author of The Forgetting Moon, Blackest Heart, Lonesome Crown, all published by Simon & Schuster's Saga Press? And I'll be like, "That's me." You're clearly a fan of my YouTube channel <laughs> because that is the way I introduce every video, and it's almost like people can't say my name without, without saying else. the rest of it. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> but it's great. You're 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 so alive and you're you're so dynamic. It, it, it's a standout. Yeah. You know, like I've got my whole thing is I'm some come across conservative on my mm-hmm. stuff, but I'm, I'm I'm trying to, you know, just. I'm across the board on guests that I've got there, but you're just you're so like you got your cool t-shirts, you know, <laughs> yeah. and you got the bookshelf behind you with whatever's gonna be there. And you're yeah. standing up and it's just like you've got a definite look for it. And if anybody's not seen it, you definitely need to check out the Brian Lee Durfee YouTube page. Yeah. or Brian Lee Durfee reviews. Is that's what it's called. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But, but if you
1: type in Durfee even, D-U-R-F-E-E. It's the only thing
0: you're going to find on YouTube with that, yeah. <laughs> that prompt. That's great. So just briefly, because we're down, we're just running out of time here. So uh, give me the, the books, like for someone to be able to read your books, say hey, the books again, please, and where they can find them. Okay. So you can find my books at any
1: Barnes and Noble, Amazon.com, or Audible, ebook, whatever form you like. In Germany, Great Britain, United States, Australia, the first book is called The Forgetting Moon. Uh, Start there. Because if you start with The Blackest Heart, book number two, you're going to be lost. And uh, then the third book is The Lonesome
0: Crown. And the entire trilogy is called The Five Warrior Angels. Good. So um, I think this has been great. I'm so glad we were able to get some time here while you're here and I'm here this week.
1: Oh, I appreciate it. Anytime you uh, need me for
0: anything, I'm there. Absolutely. Thank you. And thank you for listening. Subscribe to the Writers of the Future podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We've also been syndicated on the United Public Radio Network, where you can find these podcasts as well. Writers of the Future series can be purchased wherever books are sold in the U.S., Canada, the U.K., Australia, and South Africa, and available everywhere via Amazon.com. We're especially appreciative of our sponsor, Carnation, for supporting this podcast. Carnation has been making delicious milk products for over a century and is still going strong. Writers and illustrators of the future are contests created by Elwyn Hubbard to provide a means for the aspiring writer and artist to be seen and acknowledged. It is free to enter and open to amateur short story writers and artists of science fiction or fantasy. Again, thank you very much, Brian.
1: Thank you.